I think once we get into mid-September and the weather in Madrid here starts to cool down ever so slightly and you get the occasional cloudy day and those epic downpours and dramatic thunderstorms in the evening which we've been having a lot lately but when the weather starts to turn a little bit autumnal and well, the summer starts to wind down a bit my thoughts turn to churros y chocolate the most delicious autumn winter warmer to be honest it's not something that i ever really eat in the summer i don't know really why you'd want to eat hot thick hot chocolate and fried donuts when it's uh, 40 degrees but uh, there are people who who do and so what i'm planning to do in this episode is take you on a little excursion to some classic haunts for churros y chocolate I haven't eaten any for months and months. Um, I can't remember the last time I ate churros. I'm going to have some today. But don't worry, this episode isn't just me munching away on churros. Along the way, I'm going to be uh, telling you about some kind of curious theories on the history of where churros came from. A really, really interesting literary connection to one of the most famous chocolaterias in Madrid. I'll be talking a bit about when you should eat churros or when Spaniards at least normally eat churros. And towards the end of the episode, I'll be running through some uh, must-visit churrerias or chocolaterias here in Madrid to try this delicious sweet snack. As you listen to me, I'm walking down Calle Arenal, which is one of the main shopping streets that leads off the uh, Puerta del Sol. And as you wander down this avenue, uh, just in the distance, you see the uh, opera, the opera house, the uh, Teatro Real, I should say, the grey facade of the opera house just uh, at the end of the street there and you can probably hear quite a lot of hustle and bustle around me and there was some music uh, playing up there there's some people performing in the street you're joining me on a Friday evening and so it makes sense that the centre of Madrid is pretty busy in September life has returned to Madrid after the summer certainly after the month of August when, uh, and I've mentioned this many times before, the <laughs> Madrid turns into a, a kind of strange ghost town in August. I don't really like Madrid in August. I mean, you kind of have the city to yourself, but lots of things are closed. There aren't many people around. It's kind of a bit weird, but anyway. I'm walking down Calle del Arenal. Just on the left-hand side, Teatro Eslava. The last time I went there was a discotheque, a discoteca or a nightclub. From the outside is this beautiful three or four storey uh, kind of apartment building. It looks like with the wooden shutters folded out onto the balconies, the iron balconies. And then below these three doors adorned in gold details. And then in neon red lights, it says here, yeah, Teatro Eslava. Well, the last time I came here, which was years ago, it was a nightclub. I heard that it recently turned into a more of a kind of actual theatre for cabaret acts. I'm intrigued to see what it's like nowadays. So it's got some um, signs uh, 
some billboards lit up, illuminated billboards in between the doors, advertising various things. Something called Yas, Todos los Sábados. Pop Urban House Club. Oh, maybe it is still a nightclub then. I'd read something re uh, recently that it was going down the route more of being a kind of cabaret yeah, style club with you know, tables and food served. But I don't know. This is another billboard there saying Bomb Bomb Urban Club, Regaton, Perreo, Dembao, Dance Hall, Urban and Fun. If anyone can get in touch and let me know what Dembao and Perreo is, I have an idea what Perreo is. <laughs> I'm not too sure. Anyway, it used to be called Joy, Joyeslava, I remember. I think the first time I came to Madrid. Why do I mention it? Because, and I know many of you listeners will have walked these exact same steps. The next building along on the left-hand side on Calle Arenal is the uh, San Ginés Catholic Church. The uh, Parroquia de San Ginés. Little mini courtyard and steps up. It's a red brick building. Uh, here you've got the, uh, the uh, trio. What's it? Quartet or a trio? It's a trio of musicians here. We've got a violin, a cello, and a, a double bass. It's a really common sight on this street. Shops full of Touristy stuff, turon, souvenirs. I'm sure many of you can picture exactly where I am. And what you do is you take a left-hand turn up Pasadizo de San Ginés. Just on the corner of Pasadizo de San Ginés is the Libreria San Ginés, which was apparently established in 1650. I didn't realise it was that old. It's closed at the moment because it's Friday evening. If you've walked along here, you definitely will have seen it with all of its uh, second-hand, I think it's second-hand and new books. It's a kind of tiny wooden, almost like a kind of wooden, I don't know how to describe it, shed, shack, stall. And as you look up Pasadizo San Ginés, what do you see? You see the bright red neon lights a neon sign which says Chocolateria San Ginés Pasadizo means passageway you walk up along the side of the Teatro Islava these lovely big lanterns lighting the passageway and at the end at number five is the Chocolateria and this place is probably the most mitico and the most uh, legendary and famous place in Madrid, maybe in all of Spain, to come and get your churros y chocolate. Now, it is very touristy, obviously, we're right in the centre of the city. Um, I haven't been here for a couple of years. The last time I came here is when my, my dad came to visit me, and I remember the churros and chocolate being pretty decent, to be honest. Can get a little bit snobby about the churros and chocolate, and believe me, yes, you can have some appalling, stale, chewy old churros. I think in San Ginés they were okay from what I remember. Well, we'll see. The thing you'll notice when you get to the uh, end of the Pasadena de San Ginés is that uh, the passageway makes a sudden turn to the right. There's a sort of archway slash kind of tunnel. And there are two actual entrances to the uh, Chocolateria San Ginés, both marked number five. These two doorways are the actual original, the original local, the original place. We'll walk in in a second. But if you continue walking under the archway, 
you will see a string of uh, tables and chairs laid out like a terraza packed tonight and you'll notice that what's happened basically been commandeered over the years by by the whole chocolateria so they've got the, all of the terrazas they've got another one two three more kind of separate uh, satellite chocolaterias which are not the original and some of them look a bit more modern um, inside all the way down to the end of the Plazuela de San Genes which is what the passageway turns into at the end so they really are making a, a killing the waiter just come out of one of the doors delivering to one of the tables dressed in a very smart clean white jacket a selection of porras which I'll talk about in a second and churros on a plate and the plate was balanced on top of the cup of hot chocolate expertly delivered a queue of people here uh, wanting to uh, sit on the terraza but what I want to do is go inside and let's see if I can so I walk back to number five just back under the archway so I've just crossed the threshold of the uh, doorway so obviously being uh, a Friday evening it's pretty busy you can probably hear behind probably here all around me all different nationalities I think behind me we've got some Portuguese being spoken the guys in front of me are uh, from the United States and then we go the first thing you see is the white marble counter hola buenas quiero un chocolate con cuatro churros por favor tres o seis ah vale tres entonces vale sí con tarjeta Okay, I am seated at a very old chipped white marble table so five euros for a, a hot chocolate and three churros so apparently how it works here is that um, you can either order three or six churros to go with your chocolate or you can order four churros i think and one porra which is the big fat kind of uh, club sized uh, version gracias He's just brought it over to me. It looks great on this marble table. So that's how it works. It's kind of fixed here. But you will find in your usual kind of neighborhood churrias that you can order however many churros you want with your chocolate. So the decor is quite interesting. It's this dark green walls and mirrors. There are lots of mirrors. In fact, basically the whole interior of this dining room is uh, lined with uh, mirrors above the green kind of leatherette seating and then you have a selection of uh, white marble tables dotted around with the uh, black bent wood uh, chairs the thing that's most interesting is that there are photographs absolutely everywhere but in between the mirrors and the uh, the seats and the marble tiles and the ornate uh, gold sconces <laughs> all around there are photos of famous people, celebrities, who have uh, sampled the churros and chocolate here. Just trying to 
<laughs> I say famous. I'm just trying to spot someone that I actually know. <laughs> oh, there's Tina Turner. There you go. Someone that I do know. Mostly Spanish uh, celebrities. Principes de Asturias. There's Naomi Campbell. Any Spanish celebrities which I actually know of. This is the thing when you live in Spain. It takes you quite a long time to get to know, you know, celebrities which were famous, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. I'm not really an expert on it. So I've got my three churros here, five euros. Let's... I'm going to try a, a bite of the churro. Pretty good. Crispy on the outside. Chewy on the inside. So I'm going to dip it in the chocolate now. This is what I like is the contrast between the saltiness of the churro and the sweetness of the chocolate. Let's have a dunk. In it goes. Tastes great. The chocolate's not too sweet. Um, you guys who are listening who have never tried uh, churros and chocolate before, the chocolate isn't it's a hot chocolate. It's a cup, like a coffee cup, a small coffee cup of hot chocolate. It's not like your hot chocolate that you may know from wherever you're from, or certainly that I know from back home in the UK, which is very thin and kind of watery almost, you know, like, like milk. This is like custard. This is like chocolate custard. It's incredibly thick. It almost has like a kind of custardy flavor to it. You know, you could almost stand, almost, almost stand your spoon up in it. And if you leave it for, I don't know, a couple of minutes, it develops that kind of skin on the top. The churros are about, I don't know, 10 centimeters long. They've got the long, the thin ridges along them. And this is quite a nice relaxing uh, atmosphere actually. You can hear the clatter of the cups and saucers. All of the staff are immaculately dressed in their crisp white jackets and black trousers. This place actually opened as a chocolateria in 1894. It's got 1894 written in gold letters above the doorway. But it was actually founded originally in 1890 as, a, as an inn. Um, as a taberna and it became a churria four years later so its fame kind of was born out of the fact that it's so close to the Islava theatre the Teatro Islava that after the shows people used to come here for their chocolate and churros and the San Ginés Chocolateria has got a really quite interesting little connection to Spanish literature which I will talk a little bit more about in a second but let's just go back to churros themselves I imagine pretty much everyone listening to this knows what a churro is but just in case you don't it's actually made from a fried dough kind of like a, a shrew pastry dough which is uh, piped or squeezed through a tube into uh, hot oil and uh, depending on the type that you order now let's say there are two types there are churros which are the thin variety with the kind of i don't know six or seven ridges along the length nice and crispy they're my favorite personally or you can get porras porra actually means club or baton or truncheon if you're from the uk like the sort of thing that the police would carry back it back in the day porras are much much fatter much bigger I mean, some of them are ginormous some of them are sort of big as your your forearm and barely fit in the, uh, the, the cup to dip. I'm not a fan because in my experience in the past, maybe I've just had bad porras, because they're fatter, they tend to soak up a lot more oil, so they can be quite, more, they can be quite a bit more oily. So I prefer the churros because they're much more crispy. 
Oh, I didn't see who, but someone's just dropped a, a saucer. Should celebrate that, really. I was expecting a, a chorus of, whee! So something they don't really do in Spain. Where I'm from, they do. We like to celebrate failure in the UK. <laughs> anyway, there are two, essentially two different types. There are the churros, the thin, ridged, crispy ones, and the porras, which are much fatter. So the dough is kind of extruded into a, a vat of boiling oil. The porras are kind of squirted into the oil in a kind of circular motion, which creates this huge big wheel that spiral, in fact, of borra, and then they are fished out and snipped with a pair of scissors into the respective uh, chunks or lengths of borra. And then the churros is slightly different. They are squirted through a kind of star-shaped nozzle to get the ridges. And as they pass through the nozzle, they're kind of pinched by the churreros' fingers, usually into kind of ring or garland-shaped pieces. Now that's a different technique. When they cook them and they turn golden brown, they're fished out. Lots of people think that they are frosted with cinnamon and sugar. I have to say, in my time in Spain, I don't think I've ever seen them do that. There are some regional variations, for example in Seville. Instead of calling them churros, they sometimes call them calentitos de rueda, little hot ones from the wheel. And apparently the standard churro is also sometimes sold under the name calentitos de papas. Yes, uh, little hot ones of the potato, whether that's to do with the kind of potato-like doughy texture in the middle, not sure. <laughs> well, so that's me done. I'd finished my churros and uh, still had about half a cup of chocolate left. Just spooned into my mouth at an alarming pace. I now feel like I want to drink about a litre of water. Um, I'm just heading downstairs, down this beautiful cream and green marbles tiled staircase with the brass handrails that brings you down into the basement of San Ginés at number five and this place isn't really um, publicized at all but you come down and it's reminiscent of a, a train carriage this long narrow room with a uh, curved ceiling two beautiful big uh, lanterns hanging and then tables and booths, green wooden booths, mirrors down each side. Photos everywhere. But above the tables, they've got these interesting kind of brass, but well, they look like brass luggage racks. It looks very much like a, uh, a train carriage. So I'm going back upstairs. So as I step back outside onto the Pasadena uh, de San Ginés, um, I mentioned earlier that there was a literary, a literary connection to San Ginés and you'll notice if you're ever here on the right hand side of the doorway at number five is a marble plaque in big red letters it says Valle Inclán well Ramón María del Valle Inclán was a Spanish playwright and he was considered an early modernist famous for bitterly satirizing Spanish society of the time and he's considered one of the key authors of 20th century Spanish literature. And, well, here's a little tiny claim to fame. I actually taught his great-great-great-grandson when I first moved to Spain. But anyway, he was a very well-known Spanish playwright in the end of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s. And Ramón María del Valle Inclán wrote a play called Luces de Bohemia, or Bohemian Lights, which was... Uh, was actually published in instalments between July 
an October 1920 in a, I think it's a magazine that was published at the time called España. The Chocolatería San Ginés featured in that play. And in the play by the Inclan called San Ginés, the modernist Buñolería. So he changed the name of it, but he was referring to exactly this place. And the protagonist of said play was a character called Máximo Estrella. Let me just read a little excerpt from Luces de Bohemia. And it talks of two characters, Máximo Estrella and Don Latino de Hispalis. Noche, Máximo y Don Latino tambalean asidos del brazo por una calle enarenada y solitaria. Faroles rotos, cerradas todas, ventanas. Evening, Máximo and Don Latino stagger arm in arm along a sandy and lonely street. Broken lanterns, all windows and doors. De tarde en tarde, el asfalto sonoro. Un trote épico, soldados romanos. Sombras de guardias. In the flame of the lanterns, an equal green and haggard tremor. The moon over the eaves of the houses, dividing the street in the middle. From time to time, the asphalt sounds. An epic trot. Roman soldiers. Shadows of guards. The echo of the patrol is extinguished. La buñolería modernista opens its door and a band of light splits the sidewalk. Max and Don Latino, lunatic drunks, peripatetic philosophers, under the luminous line of the lanterns, walk and stagger. Max y Don Latino, borrachos lunáticos, filósofos peripateticos, bajo la línea luminosa de los faroles, caminan y tambalean. And you can just imagine them staggering up this passageway to San Ginés Chocolateria, which, as Bayin Clan called it in his play, the Buñolería Modernista. So the uh, argumento, the storyline or the plot, uh, narrates the last hours of the life of Max Estrella, who's described as a hyperbolic Andalusian poet of odes and madrigals, who is already old and miserable and blind, although at some point has enjoyed some recognition for his literary work, and uh, on his pilgrimage for a dark, murky, marginal and sordid Madrid, he is accompanied by his sidekick, Don Latino de Hispalis. The play becomes a, a tragic and grotesque parable of the impossibility of living in a deformed, unjust and oppressive country such as Spain in 1920. Degraded, inconsiderate of the common people and full of corruption. No, not much has changed then. Um, this outlook that Valle and Clan, the author, gave to these characters perfectly illustrates in fact what became a new theatrical genre created by Valle and Clan called Esperpento. Esperpento means grotesque or uh, a monstrosity. In fact, it can be used uh, in Spanish to describe you know, a really ugly building, for example. Um, you might translate it as uh, eyesore, for example. And apparently on the uh, last Saturday of every March, here in the uh, San Genes Chocolateria, 
they hold a special night of readings and performances from the play Luthes de Bohemia. I actually think the uh, basement where I was just talking to you from also hosted various kind of literary readings and uh, political debates. So as I wander my way back past the red neon lights down along the side of Teatro Slava, lots of people sitting on the doorsteps here, families who have bought the churros and chocolate to take away in a paper cup and your churros in a brown paper bag. So we're going to make another churros and chocolate stop and uh, this one is also uh, very central up near Plaza Callao, just off Gran Via. The uh, trio of string musicians are still here playing. And we're going to hang a right just at Calle de San Martín. I'm going to take you to Balor, talk a bit about Balor, uh, which is a very well-known Spanish chocolate brand. They also have their own cafe and uh, churreria, chocolateria. And as I walk up, I'm also passing another churreria called churreria, chocolateria, 1902 which is the uh, 1902 Churreria Chocolateria. There's a window into the kitchen and you can see all of the kind of machinery and big steel funnels that are used to uh, squeeze the uh, dough into the oil. There's a, a guy there in a sort of chef's outfit, white hat, flicking the churros around inside the oil. And he's got, here we go, he's got a big uh, kind of wheel with white handles on it and he's turning around and he's squeezing out a length of batter and with his fingers he's pinching off the batter and letting them drop gently into the oil and it's like a kind of loop each churro is like a loop the uh, the wheel is on an arm and this kind of uh, extruder I suppose you would call it with the, uh, the wheel and the, the handles for turning um, is on a kind of movable arm so he's just swung it out of the way of the oil and I guess any minute now they're going to fish out the uh, the churros he's got a long pole which he will thread the churros onto he's about to do it now I'm looking in through the window watching him do this everyone's looking at me wondering why I'm talking to myself <laughs> looking through the window but anyway there you go Churria 1902 that's another option So as I walk up towards Balor for our next uh, and final churro stop, when we're inside I will recommend a few other places that I have on my list that I've been to. But as we walk up and cross the Plaza de las Descalzas, which is right next to the Descalzas convent, one of the oldest buildings in the uh, centre of Madrid, uh, we've got El Cote Inglés department store just behind it. The green neon sign letters lit up. And we're just crossing Plaza de San Martín. A nice breeze blowing and we're walking up along the side of the convent. Along Calle del Postigo de San Martín. So if you get Google Maps up guys you can track the exact route uh, that I'm making. And I can already see Balor. Ahead of me, it's a five-minute walk, not even, between the two. Not that I think anyone would do a churros and chocolate crawl. I'm pretty full after those, but I'll 
see if I can get just one or two more here do a little taste test a comparison Balor also has a, a a very large terraza actually or you can sit inside I'm going to perch inside on the high bentwood black stools at the marble bar when should you or when does one usually consume churros y chocolate well it's usually considered something that you would have for breakfast and don't forget you don't always have to have a chocolate you could have churros with the cafe con leche it's commonly eaten by spaniards as a kind of mid-morning snack and it might also be taken mid-afternoon 4 or 5 p.m don't forget that spaniards do not eat their evening meal until maybe 8 or 9 p.m or even later you know mid-afternoon pick-me-up as well when is it not eaten it is not eaten as a dessert so you're not going to go to a spanish restaurant and see churros y chocolate on the menu as as some kind of dessert option and when else well after a heavy night out drinking and dancing in the wee small hours churros and chocolate are commonly consumed and you will find that actually there are churrerias around the city which open incredibly early. They'll open up at uh, maybe 5, 6 a.m. Some of the smaller ones will only open during the morning for a few hours. And what they do is they serve up the churros uh, for the late-night revelers to come in and have their very early pick-me-up breakfast. Very early. Pretty good hangover cure. Well, not about a cure, but maybe a prevention. And they will also, uh, these small churrerias will deliver churros and chocolate to local bars, local cafes, and even local businesses. And if you live in Madrid, you'll know after a while where these churrerias are to make your incredibly late or incredibly early, depending how you look at it, stop off to grab them to take home. These uh, small churrerias are usually only for takeaway. In fact, where I used to live in La Latina, uh, when I first moved here on Calle Santa Ana, there is the churreria Santa Ana, which... <laughs> for years I thought was closed because I was rarely up and about at 4 or 5 a.m. It was right opposite the building where I lived and um, it was always shuttered and I thought oh what a shame that churreria place is closed down then it's never open until one night when I'd stayed out ridiculously late till I don't know 5 or 6 a.m. I made my way home and lo and behold the shutter was up there was activity inside, the lights were on, and it was open. And I went in and ordered a brown paper bag of churros and a little polystyrene cup of chocolate. Where I come from in the UK, people usually eat a, a kebab or some chips and cheese as their kind of drunken sustenance. Um, here it's more churros and chocolate that's very common. And for me, there's something quite romantic about sitting down on a doorstep on your way home with your brown paper bag of churros and sharing them, taking turns to dunk them, taking turns to moja el churro <laughs> in your little cup of chocolate. Moja el churro, incidentally, and I said that deliberately, actually has another meaning in Spanish. Moja el churro literally means to soak or make wet your churro, but actually in Spanish it's the Spanish equivalent of having sex and... Uh, I suppose in English we might say to dip your wick. So there you go. A little churro and chocolate innuendo for you. Right, I'm at Balor. I'm going to head in. There is no one inside. I think this place closes at midnight. 
In we go. There are four girls sitting on a table. I'm the only one sitting at the bar. Uh, perched up on a high stool. One of the waitresses just walked out of the kitchen. Here we've got again a sort of glassed off kitchen. You can see into it. Glass windows. More of the kind of apparatus for preparing the churros. So they, you know, you know they are prepared fresh here. It's a nice open space. I quite like Balor. And I just picked up the uh, menu here. I think a uh, chocolate is uh, three euros thirty if you take it at the bar, and then a media ración de churros, which includes two pieces, is one eighty. So we're looking at again what four thirty five euros ten. Over in the corner, there is a little counter actually, which says uh, bombonería. It's like the sweet counter, the sweeter counter. Hola, buenas. Un chocolate con dos churros, por favor. And then in the glass cabinet, there are kind of truffles and boxes of chocolates. Um, there are packets of chocolate powder that, that you can take home to make your own uh, chocolate at home. And then behind the counter on the shelves are dozens and dozens of different types of uh, valor. Gracias. Dos unidades? Dos unidades, por favor, sí. Um, lots and lots of different uh, chocolate bars then. Gracias. They do a range of chocolate bars and sweets. We've got chocolates with fillings, they've got ganache, they've got turron, praline, cinnamon chocolates. Yeah, these are delicious. These bonbon de higo. Wow. They are super expensive, but they're super delicious. They're chocolate covered figs. Absolute heaven. I usually buy them at Christmas time. Chocolates with nuts in, tins of chocolate. If you come in here for coffee, what I like is they give you a little mini Balor chocolate with your coffee in here. And the, the company uh, actually originated in Alicante. It was founded by uh, Balariano Lopez Lloret. And he uh, came from a farming family and he founded the uh, artisanal chocolate production alongside the family farm. That was taken over by his son, Vincente López Soler, in 1881. It gradually expanded um, to the uh, surrounding towns in uh, Alicante, and uh, I think eventually the family bought uh, a factory in uh, the town of Villa Joyosa in 1964 to meet the demand. And now it's sold all over Spain and I think lots of parts of the world. I don't remember ever seeing it in the UK, but I think in Latin America, uh, you can get it. It's most famous for its chocolate puro, pure chocolate, uh, which has became a sort of emblem of the brand. So there you go. So just before I round off, let's have a look at uh, a little bit of the slightly curious and unconfirmed history behind churros. One theory suggests that the, uh, the idea of uh, churros was bought to Europe from China by Portuguese merchants and sailors as they sailed to the Orient and returned from the Ming Dynasty, bringing with them this new culinary technique, which included their own version of the Chinese dough Yu Tiao. The other theory is, and I prefer this one, I think this is great, is that uh, the churro was made by Spanish shepherds as a substitute for fresh baked goods. Churro paste was easy to make and fry in an open fire in the mountains where they were herding their sheep. And uh, there's actually a breed of sheep called the Navajo Churro, it's a breed of domestic sheep originating from another breed called the churra. The churra is an Iberian breed of sheep, and the word churra simply means coarse-wooled. 
coarse-wooled sheep. And this uh, breed of sheep originates in the Duero Valley up in the autonomous community of Castileon. <laughs> Who knows? My two churros have been delivered while I've been rambling on. Uh, and my chocolate's here as well. This has kind of developed a skin on it. The churros are much, much softer here. These, these churros are interesting because they haven't got any of the ridges. They're like completely smooth on the uh, outside. They haven't got that kind of star-shaped effect. Mm. Also not as crispy, more doughy, more bread-like. They're not bad. I kind of like the contrast to the ones from San Ginés. Um The chocolate, I'm going to get in, get in here with my spoon. The chocolate tastes different to the chocolate at San Ginés, but I can't quite put my finger on it. It's got less of a kind of custardy taste. It tastes slightly more milky. It's got more of a milky, milkiness <laughs> to the taste. But it's still good. Um, the only thing I don't like as much are the churros, but, you know, they are perfectly palatable and pretty delicious. And definitely hit the spot. Now, you know, in terms of churrerias, that you can find them everywhere in Spain and you'll also find churros and chocolate in your kind of average cafe bar in every town and I'll probably have them delivered by a, a local churreria. Varying qualities I think the thing to kind of be mindful of is you know go maybe when they go somewhere where they're freshly made or freshly fried so they're nice and crispy and hot and not been left out to kind of dry out in some cases that means going early in the morning. Also keep your eyes open for the street stalls. There are lots of churreria uh, street kind of vendors as well. There are these kind of stands uh, all over Spain. I've seen them. That's another good option. In terms of locations in Madrid that I wanted to mention, another one called Chocolat, which is much smaller, it's younger. It's actually in the Huertas neighbourhood on Calle de Santa Maria. It's got a nice, cosy, intimate, friendly atmosphere. The chocolate there, I would say, is kind of darker, not as sweet. The other one is the Antigua Churreria, which opened in 1913. Uh, that one is up in the north of the city, in the Salamanca neighbourhood. Uh, not far from the Metro Lista. I think it's on Calle del Conde de Peñalver. And I must give a, a special mention out to Churreria Camu. Quite close to where I used to live, down in the south of the city, near Atocha Station in the Delicias neighbourhood which is a very uh, old-school fabrica de churros y patatas, and they do monster porras there, really, really big ones. And it's one of those churrerias which opens super early, uh, 5 a.m. every day of the week except Sunday, and shuts at 11 a.m. Perfect after a long, late Madrid night out on the tiles. So as I dunk my final chunk of churro for today or probably for at least a couple of weeks I'm a bit churroed and chocolated out <laughs> to be honest I will round off this episode of the Wedding Spain podcast in an echoey and empty balor I suppose most people at this time of night are eating their evening meal or having a beer or a glass of wine and not eating churros and chocolate like me but I will round off this episode there and I'd just like to say before I go a big thank you to all the When in Spain patrons who have continued to sign up even though I've been on a kind of hiatus whilst adapting to life as a dad and also I'd like to say a big thank you to those who have decided to come back and sign up again as patrons now that I'm back producing some episodes if you're new to the podcast uh, do go and check out 
when in Spain on uh, Instagram, on social media to see photos that I post of, uh, well, the places I visit in these episodes. So if you'd like to put some uh, pictures to the sounds and descriptions, head over to When in Spain on Instagram and the handle is at When in Spain number one. And with that, I shall bid you hasta luego from a very quiet chocolateria on a Friday evening in the centre of Madrid. Para bailar, para reír, para cantar.